Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Recently, I was in Florida, driving along one of the main roads, taking my wife to one of the shops she likes to visit, when I spotted something happening in the sky ahead of us. As I watched, it became clear to me that there was a small plane up there, and the plane was emitting volumes of white smoke. The plane was not in trouble. It was a special plane that was outfitted for skywriting. The pilot was obviously an accomplished aviator, and he, I presume it was a he, was able to craftily fly his plane so carefully that he was spelling words with the trail of white billowing smoke emanating from his flying machine. When I noticed him, he had been writing for a while because there was the remnants of a few words up there, but the wind was scattering the smoke quickly and I was unable to read those words. But the plane continued to write and I saw the next word that he was spelling way up there in the sky. I wondered how high he was because I could barely see the plane. It was so small in perspective. If he was that far up, the size of those letters must have been enormous for us to see them and how big they seem to be from our vantage point way down on the ground below in Plantation, Florida. At first I thought it must have been a love letter from a young woman but then it could have been a young man. Else it was a special advertisement for some business seeking a novel way to talk about his business and invite people to come in. As the letters continued to be formed to make the last words of this flying exercise, I realized that it was neither of those two assumptions I had made. It was even more special than I had anticipated. I'll reveal them to you after our first song call to worship. Thank you. 
Have you tried to figure out what my pilot was writing way up there in the sky as I was talking to you? It wasn't a love letter from a man to his sweetheart. It wasn't an advertisement seeking to draw people into a particular store to buy things. What it was, I admit, took me by surprise. In 21st century America, in the land where they have banned prayer in schools and teach Darwin's theory of evolution to the exclusion of creationism as fact, where nativity scenes are not allowed in public squares and the Ten Commandments are even removed from their courts. In this land, someone took the initiative to hire a specially equipped plane and paid someone, I presume, to write words so high that thousands of observers could see that God sent his Son to be born in a manger to become our Savior. And it is this miracle that we recognize and celebrate at Christmas the time that I was in Florida. And it is this miracle that was being broadcast all over plantation that day in huge letters of white smoke. A simple yet profound example of how people can think outside the box, circumvent the restrictions of a secularistic society, and still proclaim the good news of Jesus' incarnation. Not the most sophisticated announcement, perhaps. You may even think it may have been a little hooky, but it was certainly very unique and very inclusive. No one was up there with the pilot to ask him to remove the mention of Jesus. Yes, clearly visible in this blue sky over us, the name of Jesus was emblazoned way up there and clearly impossible to ignore by thousands on the ground below, and they couldn't remove it. This made me think, too, of that future day when the eastern sky will be emblazoned with the glory of his coming in power and glory, when every knee will bow to the Son of God, the Savior of all. This will be the real Jesus. When he comes, where will you be on that wonderful day? Much more valuable and precious than white smoke, the Shekinah glory of God will be there, and his Son Jesus will return that day, for all of his saints in the clouds, and we will be forever with the Lord. Let's comfort one another today with these words.
with his message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning, and greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that you have had a blessed Christmas and have enjoyed time with your family, and of course that you've taken time also to focus once again on that momentous, magnificent, and mysterious event we call the Incarnation. I pray that we will never lose the wonder and awe of this glorious, magnificent, one-of-a-kind miracle, especially as we enter a new year of uncertainty and unknown challenges. For many, the year 2012 is a watershed year, to say the least. Some believe that the world will end on December the 31st, 2012. You see, they say, according to a Mayan calendar, the year 2012 is supposed to result in a number of natural disasters culminating in the end of the world. One writer sarcastically comments, and I quote now, We know this prediction is true because a bunch of savage, child-sacrificing, jungle-dwelling Mayans prophesied it hundreds of years ago through their supposedly amazingly accurate calendar. We now know, they say, that these events will occur at exactly 11.11 Greenwich Mean Time on December the 21st, 2012, even though some Mayan predictions go all the way to 4,772 A.D., end of quote. You see, my friends, according to the Mayan calendar, the so-called Great Cycle equates with 5,125.36 years, which began on August the 11th, 3,114 B.C., and ends in 2012. However, unfortunately for the mayor, but maybe fortunately for us, they ended before the calendar did. End of quote. You see, this suggests the possibility that the reason the Mayan calendar does not go beyond 2012 is because they ceased to exist before they had time to finish it. In other words, time ran out for them sooner than they had predicted for themselves. Kind of ironic, isn't it? Now, of course, the Mayor were not the only people to predict the end of the world. Incan and Egyptian calendars, as well as the prophecies of Nostradamus, Agdekes, and I Ching, the Hopi Indians, along with many other so-called prophets, have indicated the apocalypse will occur in December 2012. Nostradamus, for instance, predicted that a great comet named Nibiru would impact the Mediterranean on December the 21st, 2012. Even some well-meaning Christians see 2012 as the climatic year in which God will bring his carefully calculated plan for mankind to its conclusion. Now, while I believe that the Bible does in fact teach that God does have a carefully calculated time-oriented plan for mankind and that it will have a conclusion I do not believe that the Bible teaches that the world will end, either in 2012 or any other year for that matter. Renovated, yes, but annihilated, no. However, this renovation will in fact be preceded and precipitated by dramatic events the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. Because of this, many believe that the scene is set, or at least being set, and in a rapid fashion for these events to begin in the year 2012, even as they expected them to occur in the year 2000 with Y2K. You remember that? 2000 and Y2K? The world was supposed to have come to an end at that time as well. 
Now, I, too, hold that the stage is, in fact, being set for these events, but for different reasons. No one who has ever, no one who has even a little knowledge of biblical prophecy has difficulty in seeing this. The struggle for peace between the Jews and Palestinians, the rapid growth of the European, European community, the universalization of commerce, banking, and payment of goods, especially via computers and the Internet, the information highway now is best described as the information jetway. Transactions that used to take hours and even days are now done almost instantaneously. There is no doubt then that the stage is in fact being set for the appearance and eventual world dominion of the one the Bible calls the man of sin or the beast out of the sea, the Antichrist. One will almost immediately bring seemingly lasting peace to the Israeli-Arab-Muslim situation, and one who will control and will also control who buys or who sells worldwide. The major elements are already in place for these events to transpire, but I want to suggest to you this morning that the December, that December 2012 is not the important time to be concerned with, but rather today, the day in which we live right now. I think it's January the 3rd. Here's why. Assume that it is true that the world will end in 2012. What should you do? You certainly cannot stop it from ending if that's God's purpose. However, you can prepare for it. How? By determining what is the most important thing that needs to be taken care of before the end does in fact occur. Now, if you are not a Christian, you can become one. This demands repentance that stems from faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, but living like a non-Christian, you can be restored to fellowship with Christ. This too calls repentance as well as recommitment to Jesus Christ. In fact, from purely a spiritual perspective, if we really believe that the year 2012 will be a chaotic and judgmental one, repentance should certainly be a top priority on our list of things we must do. But another vital need is that of accurate information. Much of what is said on these issues are based on sensationalism, lack of proper biblical research, or proper study and biblical facts. This is unfortunate, but such is the case nonetheless. And so my plea to you today is to get the facts on prophetic issues correctly. Study your Bible. Listen to Bible teachers of repute, both morally, intellectually, and spiritually, and academically. A clean life a faithful student of the Word, acquainted with the times, spiritually gifted and filled with the Spirit. These, my friends, are vital prerequisites for Bible teachers today, because one of the signs of the times is also the proliferation of false teachers whose motive it is is to fill their own bellies and pockets with the money and wealth they plunder from well-meaning people through what the Bible calls deceitful scheming. So I say to you, begin to prepare for the year 2012, by being weary of, of false teachers who seek their own profit rather than the profit of their hearers or the glory of God. Get your information from credible sources, the Bible, of course, being the primary one, especially when it comes to prophecy and the events of the last days. Here is Jesus' words to this effect, taken from a passage that you will undoubtedly be hearing a lot from the days ahead. Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. I read now the word of God. Jesus came out from the temple 
and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here shall be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? End of quote. Now, well-meaning but biblically uninformed people are reading biblical prophecy today into almost every political, social, and religious event that occurs. And while Jesus admonishes us to be able to read the signs, he also admonishes us to be careful how we do this. Notice his concern in his reply to his disciples in verse 4, and I quote, Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Notice, first he wants that false teachers will come teaching erroneous messages, calling events that are not signs, signs. This is the biblical directive for being discerning in whom you receive your biblical instruction from, or should I say, be careful from whom you receive your biblical instruction. Notice, he says that many, that he says that many will be mis- misled. Not may be misled, but they will be misled. And not a few, but many. My friends, that prophecy is already being fulfilled, isn't it, today? But is this a sign of the end of the end times? Let's hear what Jesus has to say. Verse 6, I quote again. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Now this certainly is a current reality, isn't it? And has been for some time. Hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Just look around the world. The Middle East, Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, Indonesia, India. You name the continent and there is either a war or the threat of a war. But I ask again, is this the end of the end times? Again, listen carefully to the words of the Master, Jesus Christ. I quote, See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. Now notice the words now. But that is not yet the end. Now let me read that again. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. Isn't that amazing? False teachers and wars and rumors of wars are not signs of the end of the world. Jesus says so himself. But haven't we always heard that they were? Yes, we certainly have. But notice now, Jesus says these things must take place. He doesn't say they must take place as part of the end times. He simply says, and I quote now, those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. And that's a big but there. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. The Living Bible puts it in this fashion. When you hear of wars beginning, this does not signal my return. These must come, but the end is not yet. In other words, just by the very nature of things, especially the presence of sin, and we live in a fallen war, in a fallen world, wars and rumors of war will occur. Now they are not necessarily connected to or precipitated by his coming in, Jesus coming again. That, that is what he's saying. They are precursors to his return, he says, but not the sign or signs of it. Listen to verse seven as he explains it. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. 
But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time many will fall away and will, and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. This is quite a scope of world's history, past as well as present and future, in this passage. And it is important for us to distinguish which events fall into which period. And we will attempt to do this in future messages, Lord willing. However, for now, just be aware of the fact that not all signs were meant to indicate the last of the last days. Some, as Jesus explains here, were meant to show the nature of things as well as to point to the beginning of the beginning of the end. Let us be careful that we don't see the end when we are only at the beginning, and of course vice versa. A lot of unnecessary hysteria and, sens and sensationalism will be avoided if we observe these biblical principles of interpretation. In closing, let me give you one example of misinterpretation. In verse 12 and 13 it says, Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end shall be saved. End of quote. Now because of a failure to place these scriptures in the right place historically, some have concluded that a genuine Christian could lose his or her salvation if they don't hold out to the end of their natural life, meaning that they must not sin or backslide once they have accepted Christ as Savior. However, several factors go against such an interpretation. First, time-wise, the stated conditions have to do with the tribulation period that comes after the church is raptured from the earth. Secondly, Jesus is expressing, is, is especially addressing the Jews who will be alive during this time. And thirdly, the salvation spoken of here is not spiritual salvation, but physical that is, it has to do with the saving of one's physical life from death. Jesus is simply saying that the Jewish person who endures persecution will be saved to enter the millennial kingdom. Now, there are other illustrations from this passage I can show you where people are misrepresenting it today in order to gain attention and to make some sort of sensational uh, impact. However, my caution to you again as we enter 2012, be careful how you study the word and from whom you hear the word when it comes to prophecy. My friends, let us study the word of God in 2012. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. 
we extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again